What's going on, everybody? It's your boy B Date back for another episode of Talking Hoops. It's been a, a lengthy offseason for sure. Um, but we will be back on a consistent basis here. Uh, in today's episode, we're gonna be covering and previewing the Atlantic Division in the Eastern Conference. I'm joined um, as always by Adam. Adam, what's going on, man? How's it going, man? Happy to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's it's been good, man. And like I said, yeah, yeah. Glad to be back. Season's right around the corner. Media day was uh, at time of recording. Media day was yesterday for pretty much every team. So that kind of always indicates, okay, the season's about to start. Um, And what better way to start, man, with the Atlantic Division in the Eastern Conference. For those not too familiar, that division contains the Boston Celtics, Brooklyn Nets, Philadelphia 76ers, New York Knicks, and the Toronto Raptors. And um, I wanted to start with this division, A, because, you know, there's obviously a lot of drama, a lot of speculation around a few of the teams, which we'll cover, I'm sure. Um, But B, and more importantly, from a basketball standpoint, statistically speaking, this was the best division in basketball last year. This was the only division to have four playoff teams. and the team that didn't make it, the New York Knicks, finished 11th. So they just missed out on the play-in tournament. Um, so, like I said, statistically speaking, this is the best division. You had the uh, Eastern Conference representative in the finals from this division. And, Adam, before let, – let's just go ahead and start right there, man. The Boston Celtics. Uh, previous season, they go 51-31. and 31. They were the two-seed – in the East, they ended up losing in the finals in six games. Um, obviously, before we touch on any basketball thing, they have the whole Ime Yudoka controversy. He's uh, been suspended for a year. So it, I, I kind of factored that into some of my thinking when I uh, talked about their ceiling and stuff. But um, let's jump into their key additions, man. They add Malcolm Brogdon. They add Danilo Gallinari, who unfortunately has torn his ACL, just had surgery. And as we found out yesterday, Robert Williams III also had uh, knee surgery, um, and he's projected to be out anywhere from 8 to 12 weeks. So, man, um, there's a lot there to unpack. Go ahead and give me, uh, I guess, some of the things that you like about this this Boston Celtic team going into the year. Yeah, I mean, you got to think these guys are going to be riding a, a big wave of confidence coming into the new season. Obviously, there's been – a little bit of um, a tumultuous aspect, I guess, to their offseason, like you mentioned, with the Ime Udoka situation, a couple of big injuries. They're basically running it back with more yeah. or less the same squad that they've got. The, like you said, the two big additions was going to be Danilo and Malcolm Brogdon. I love that Malcolm Brogdon addition for Boston. I think this is something we actually talked about a while ago whenever we did our last show. Yeah. Um, you know, Malcolm Brogdon gives him a, a little bit more of a facilitator in the half court. He's a very efficient player, generally speaking. He can shoot very well. He's a member of the 50-40-90 club. Uh, he's actually coming off a um, down shooting year where he posted a 45-31-85 shooting mm-hmm. split, which is well below his standards. But you got to think that's going to bounce back traditionally efficiency is, is the name of the game with Brogdon and he's a guy who very much fits that tough defensive 
aspect is, is such a key piece of Boston's identity. So I, I really think Brogdon's a dude that's going to plug right in and be a great fit next to those guys. Um, I, I was a little more, I don't know if excited is the right word, but happy with the Gallo signing than most people. Not not that most people were mad. I thought that was a bigger deal than most people. I, I, yeah. I guess is the way to put it. Just because we know sometimes Boston got bogged down in the half court. They didn't really have that creation or anywhere to turn to. And not that Gallo was ever going to come light it up with 30 a night or whatever, but Danilo Gallinari is a dude that's been getting buckets in the NBA for a very, very long time. He's good for three to six possessions a game. You just dump it to, dump it down to Gallo, let him do his thing, he'll get you a bucket and yep. keep it pushing. So I, I think it really hurts losing him. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I agree with a lot of the things that you like. Um, number one for me that I wrote down here was just keeping the continuity. Uh, you have a team who gets to the finals. It's very easy for teams to say, okay, well, what did we do wrong? We need to get rid of this guy, that guy, because he didn't have a good final series. Uh, what Boston did instead was keep um, keep everyone for the, for the, for the most part who played and then added, um, and like you said, man, Brogdon just kind of fits into the ethos of their team like a glove. Um, and there's a, there's a term that I use that you'll hear, you know, all throughout the season for the listeners. Um, it's a term I call slotting. And basically what Boston has done is like slotted people into appropriate positions. So, for example, Derek White last year was Boston's second best guard. And as you saw, that was probably just short of winning a championship because Derek White as your second best guard probably isn't going to cut it for you. Derek White as your third best guard behind Smart and behind uh, Brogdon now, all of a sudden he might be one of the best third guards in the league if if we were to kind of, you know, categorize that. So him being able to slot down, Al Horford being able to be asked to do a little bit less because you're getting more scoring punch from your guard positions. Um, I thought that was, uh, like I said, I agree with you hundred percent on the Brogdon piece. The things that I'm worried about as, as we get into like, I guess, slight concerns here. um, The Gallo injury, as you mentioned, is huge because I think the biggest thing that hurt this team last year and you saw it the deeper as we went into the playoffs was, if Brown or Tatum was not at that wing position, they had nothing. They had nothing there. They, there was a lot of three guard lineups with Pritchard, Smart and White, and those got killed. Um, and Gallinari for, you know, all of his defensive deficiencies and whatnot, like you mentioned, he's a guy who could steady the ship. He's a guy who can slow the game down and get you two points when you need two points. And I, I look at the roster and although I really like their top eight guys, Tatum, Brown, Smart, Rob, Will, Al Horford, Grant Williams, Derek White. I love those guys. Outside of that, I don't really see the wing depth behind Brown and Tatum still. And, you know, it's a tiny problem because those guys are going to play a lot of minutes when the games really matter anyway. But I think just getting through the regular season um, with this team, man, I think if there were to be a big concern, it would just be, if Tatum goes down for 10 games, if Brown goes down for 10 games, where does that, that wing depth um, come from? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's not a lot waiting in the wings, no pun intended, um, behind 
those guys. Certainly, I, I think injuries could be a concern in a number of places. I mean, like you said, with just, just depth beyond that top eight. And I think we're already going to see that getting tested at the beginning of the season with Rob Williams missing that time. And that's something in and of itself that's a little concerning. We've seen Rob Williams have knee injuries in the past. Nothing super major, but I, he battled some of that stuff last year, and, and now he's out with the knee again. He's seven feet plus. Yep. You know, lo- lower body injuries on the tall guys is never good. Yeah, man. And um, I'll, I'll ask you, I'll, I'll give it to you first here. What what do you think the ceiling is for this team this season? So to be clear, this is this question is about the ceiling, not the expectation. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, you have to think the ceiling is winning the championship. Not that that's the expectation, but a team coming off of a, you know, going six games deep into the finals with the Warriors last year, they've made a, a, a couple of additions to the team to kind of bolster themselves just a little bit you would have to think that the ceiling is taking one more step. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I think they're one of five teams as we'll cover throughout this series here that can realistically as presently constructed win the title. Um, so I, I I'm in a hundred percent lockstep with you. And just last thing before we wrap up on the Celtics, uh, didn't pray for it, but we talked about their ceiling. If, we get the kind of weird year from the Celtics. Like, what do you think their floor is? Like if things go worst of worst, you know, things don't click the, the coaching situation has a bigger effect on things than we would like to think, or maybe Brown doesn't take that next leap up, whatever it may be. What do you think that like absolute floor for this team is? I still think they probably finish top six and mm-hmm. avoid the play in. And then, you know, have some dogfight of a series in the first round where a couple of bounces will decide if they make it to the second round or don't. Yeah. Yeah, man. Okay. So we're pretty much in lockstep. I, I was even higher than you. I was like, at worst, this team is a fourth seed. They lose in the second round. So like Milwaukee or Philly, like I'm really, I hate that I'm this high on Boston, but I think they've just done a really good job. I think Brad Stevens has done a good job um, with the interchangeability of his, his roster um, to where guys can just plug and play wherever. And I think their system is so built for regular season success because they have the big wings who every night, even if they don't have it, they can just physically dominate games where um, some other teams don't have that. Um, so as we move on here from Boston and we head to Brooklyn, whew, let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets, man. Uh uh, off season, oh my goodness gracious. An offseason filled with drama. Um, we had their star players both one day they want out, the next day they're back and they love each other. Uh, one day Kevin Durant asks for a trade and says, you either trade me or you fire Steve Nash and Sean Marks. And the next day they're all at media day smiling together. Oh, and this is what families do when they have arguments. It's like, ah, I don't know if my family just is like fired fire him if they don't see eye to eye on something but man let, let's go ahead and start uh with their their previous season they they finished 44 and 38 they made the playoffs through the play-in tournament uh in a tough game against cleveland ultimately got swept by the team that we just covered the boston celtics in what was actually one of the closest sweeps in nba history like 
in terms of point differential. I think it was like they were minus 19 for the series, which is just like unheard of for a sweep. Normally, like the team's getting blown out because there's a golfing class. Um, I forgot to mention um, the the outlook for this season. Vegas has the Nets at 50 and a half wins for their over under and plus 700 to win the title. Uh, for those who were wondering, Boston's was 54 and a half wins and plus 550 to win the title. Um, Do you know where that plus 700 ranks? Uh, I did not get to look at that. Um, okay. No, but I, I would assume it's in the top five teams. Well, it's got to be up there and not too far behind Boston either. I, I'll pull that up uh, as, as we're going here. But um, as, as we look at some of the additions they've made, they, they brought in TJ Warren, who is currently still still injured. Um, he's been damn near injured since the bubble. Um, Pretty much. I think he's four games since the bubble. Yeah, it's crazy. Markeith Morris, they brought in. Royce O'Neal, they gave up a first-round pick to acquire. Um, and I put in parentheses here uh, Joe Harris and Ben Simmons because Joe okay. Harris missed quite a bit of time last season, and then Ben Simmons obviously didn't play a game. Um, so it just it's, it's a weird team, Adam. It's a weird team to grasp. It's a weird team to try to figure out. Take it any direction you want to start, man. But let's just see what what you say because I, I I have some strong opinions on Brooklyn. Yeah, these guys are all over the place. Um, Brooklyn is going to be the the most boom or bust team maybe ever, <laughs> like coming into the season. Where yeah. I mean, when you look at the talent, just just on a raw you know, adding up the 2K ratings, just a raw talent level. They've probably got the best roster in the league in terms of raw talent, but then the best player on the team is trying to fire the coach and being told that he doesn't actually have the power he thinks he does and trying to leave and then he's not. And then the second best player on the team is trying to leave but also not because he doesn't have the power he thinks he is not mentioned is a total weirdo that might just skip 30 games across the season because yeah. he feels like it the <laughs> third best player on the team has never played a game with the team because he threw a, a fit at his previous team that required him to sit out the entire season there's there's just a lot going on there but then when you start thinking about the talent of it i mean well kd is KD, and then when Kyrie Irving is your second best scorer and your second most potent offensive threat, that's a very scary combination just there. They have shooters galore around those guys with yep. Seth, with Joe Harris, with Patty Mills, TJ Warren can shoot, Royce O'Neal can shoot, Cam Thomas can come off the bench and shoot. Um, adding Royce O'Neal and adding the Morris twin gives them a little bit more defensive chops, a little bit mm -hmm. more grittiness, not to mention what Ben Simmons will do on that end. Ben Simmons will certainly be, I would think, the centerpiece of this defense. And then, as weird as it is, Brooklyn might actually be the best place for Ben Simmons to fit on a basketball court because he doesn't need to carry any lead ball handling duties in the half court with KD and Kyrie around. He doesn't really need to shoot. He can just hang around in the dunker spot and, and look for rebounds. 
He can be the cornerstone of their defense. And then when they get out into the open floor, Ben Simmons pushing the ball up the court with, with all of those guys out there to run with him. It's a scary fight. Yeah, man. Yeah. And uh, just while we have, I have it here. Um, they were tied for fifth for highest, or I guess shortest odds to win the title. It was Warriors and Celtics tied at plus 550. Uh, the Clippers plus 600. Um, the Bucks at plus 650. And then a tie between the Nets and the Suns at plus 700. Um, yeah, to echo your sentiment, man, in terms of just on paper, this is the, like, as Zach Lowe calls them, the paper, the paper kings, like this team theoretically should be a top three offense, right? You have the shooting that you mentioned, you have the superstar in KD, um, you have Ben Simmons who can grab and go, and you have KD on one wing, Kyrie on the next with Joe Harris and Seth Curry trailing the play. It's tailor-made for them to be a successful offense. And the thing that I really liked that they did um, for all the dislikes that I will have for them, don't worry, I'll get to those. Um, I like how unimportant Ben Simmons can be for them to still be a good team. He's a flaky guy by nature. We saw that last year. He didn't play a game. Half of it was injury. Half of it was pouting. and what I don't want to relitigate that stuff, but he can be – a net negative and I think they would still be really good offensively at the very least um you could plug in Royce O'Neal for his minutes you can go bit more traditional and play Claxton there and just give the all the ball handling duties to Katie and Kyrie um Seth Curry I think is is drastically underrated just as a basketball player I think he's a really good offensive guy but for me man there's a lot to like offensively but as we all know, Adam, you got to play both sides of the ball in this sport. And defensively, I just see a lot that can go wrong because I think their best lineups are some sort of like three guard combo with KD and Ben Simmons at your four and five, whoever is playing what, let the people who decide that decide that. But it just feels very small, man. Like if you want to say you put in Kyrie, uh, Joe Harris, Royce O'Neal, KD Kyrie. Okay, now we have a little bit more size on the wings. But I still feel like we're a bit small, especially when you throw in the context of that Eastern Conference, where in the first round you might see Cleveland and you might see Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. And it's like, yeah, we have more skill than those guys, but they might kill us on the boards. And in those ugly games, we might lose a few of those just because we can't get a rebound. Um you look at a second round, if you get by them, you potentially face Giannis, the best player in the league, whose area of domain is the painted area. And I love Ben Simmons as a defender. He's got no shot with Giannis. I love KD as a defender. He's got no shot with Giannis, right? You look at a team like Philly, you got a potential MVP candidate in Joel Embiid there. Like, I just think for the context of the conference they're in and the potential series they're going to have to play, um, Defensive size for me is just one of the, the big glaring red flags I have in the sense of how do they deal with some of the better fives and some of the better paint presences in their conference. So do you, would you think there's any room for Nick Claxton to get involved in, in trying to match up right with that? I mean, they did re-sign this guy over the summer. That, yeah. that has to be something that's going on in 
you know, behind closed doors. Yeah, he definitely survived the the trade allegations. Um, uh, big up to him. I I still think though, man, I don't think he provides enough of a deterrent for like you know what I mean, like for him to be uh yeah. prioritized over Ben Simmons' potential offensive like boosts. Um. So I, I guess to answer your question, no, I, I don't I don't think he's a key rotational guy in a big playoff series. No. Yeah, I guess in my head I was thinking Simmons is still on the court, but then you start running into all the issues, and you don't want to, you know, you don't want to take away from your strength like that. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, because yeah, if you play Simmons and Claxton, then all of a sudden we have a Simmons and Bead problem, except it's Nick Claxton. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah, I I, I think I think <laughs> I think those guys are like one gets sub for the other, but they like they can't be on the court together. I don't think. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I kind of answered my own question in my head with that. Um, any any sort of like I guess red flags you have, or are you just kind of in line with like defensively? Yeah, uh, basketball-wise, that would be it. Defensive size, rebounding, um, e- even a little bit of guard defensive play. Kyrie's not an elite mm. defender. Joe Harris is not a great defender by any stretch of the imagination. So th- those things certainly come up. And then I would really maintain that the biggest threat to the Brooklyn Nets does not exist on the basketball court. Mm. It is managing those personalities yeah yeah i'm with you 100 percent, man i had that actually like penciled in like i put one of the additions they brought in was drop more drama um so yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like i definitely hear you man it they can say what they want in media day they can say what they want like asking for a guy to get fired and then like having to work with them all season it's just got to be a weird dynamic um but yeah, man, uh, as far as ceilings for this team, I, I got to be honest, the, the plus 700 for the title seems very weird to me. I don't I don't see a world where us as like with human beings, like with that sort of dynamic and that sort of even if everything goes right, man, there's just you throw in the New York media aspect of it. There's always a like you said, man, there's something that could go wrong there's a Kyrie Irving piece where he's just like, oh, I don't want to play in the second round uh, this year, man. Like, I don't, I don't like the number two today. Like so it, it could be like on anything like that. I, I put Eastern conference finals as their ceiling. Um, and at floor, I put kind of similar to last year where they make the playoffs via the play in and don't really have anything going for them against one of the top two seeds. Yeah. Um, I could- a little harsh on the ceiling and a little generous on the floor. Um, so I, I, when I say I think this could be, this is like the biggest boomer bust team ever. I'm talking serious extreme. Big caps. I think, I, yeah, the the ceiling. In my opinion, pretty much any team with Kevin Durant has winning a championship as their ceiling. And then you throw in the rest of the staffed roster. You know, who knows? May, maybe. Marquise Morris is the right dude to walk in and show everybody tough love and tell them to stop being crybabies and, and it all 
you know, clicks after that, and they just run everybody off the floor all season en route to a championship. Or maybe Marquise Morris tells everybody, come, shows up and tells everybody to stop being crybabies, and everybody says, I'm taking my ball and going home. <laughs> yeah. And and the whole thing implodes, and they miss the playing altogether. Mm. It's it's real extreme. Yeah. I like that, man. Um, all right. So as we go and take the, the, uh, the train down to Philadelphia, um, we have the 76ers uh, in their previous season. Like the Boston Celtics, they went 51 and 31. Unfortunately, they lost in the second round to the Miami Heat in a six game series where the lasting memory was James Harden just having one of those James Harden games where looked disinterested, looked like, you know, I think I'm good for this year. Um, the Vegas outlook, they have their over under at 50 and a half, which I'm not going to lie. I'm very tempted to take that over um, considering they won 51 games last year. And I think they actually got a little bit better. And um, interestingly here, Adam, plus 1500 to win the title. So Vegas, not, not nearly as high on them as they are the Nets. Um, key additions I wrote down here, PJ Tucker uh, in free agency, and they traded for DeAnthony Melton uh, from the Grizzlies, only took Danny Green and I believe a pick to grab him. Um, Montrez Harrell and Daniel House also in free agency, which um, I actually really like that back end of the uh, their their rotation here. I wrote down their best eight as Embiid, Harden, Maxi, Tobias Harris, PJ Tucker, Melton House, and Trez. Um, Daryl Morey kind of taking the Houston Rockets and pushing them somewhere else. SpongeBob reference. Um, Melton, Trez, House, Harden, and Tucker have all played for the Rockets at some point in their life. Um, no key current injuries at the moment, man, but I'm not going to lie, Adam. I, I'll let you kick off things you like here, man. But but I'm I'm very happy with what Philly has done uh, in this offseason. Yeah, you know, all of Philly's moves made sense. I think um, it, it's all stuff that goes the right way. Adding Montrez Harrell onto the end of your bench, adding P.J. Tucker to come be P.J. Tucker and be a dog and hit corner threes, you know, Montrez to come be your your energy bruiser guy when when Embiid goes to the bench. It all makes sense. I don't feel like any of it was really needle movers though. Mm. So what, okay. one of the prompts that we had when we when when I was doing my research for this was have they improved based on what happened in the off season? And the word I wrote down was marginally. They have improved marginally. So yes, they they got better. They're moving in the right direction, but I don't really see how any of this pushes them up into the next echelon of teams in the NBA. Interesting. I like I like what you said there because on the one hand, I think those four four through eight guys being proven players who have done it at some sort of level before is so like vital in in playoff series to where if Matisse Dybul just can't shoot, fine. Like he just won't play. If Shake Milton's too afraid of the moment, fine. We have DeAnthony Melton now. 
Hey, Furkan Korkmaz is getting switch hunted to death. Fine, we have Daniel House. So like on the one hand, I, I'm like, okay, now, as I said earlier with the slotting, now instead of Shake Milton and Korkmaz being my best guards off the bench, they're like my third and fourth best guards. And like, okay, we have some. But as you said, and more importantly, like uh, for the listeners, the NBA being such a star-driven league that it is, the fifth, sixth, seventh guys don't win the championships, as you're saying. It, it's it's really those one and two guys. And to me, man, I think this season is just so contingent on what James Harden do we get. And um, I think I remember at the end of last season, I posed a question to you and Bailey. Uh, if I set the over under for um, just a half, does James Harden get an, another all NBA team? What would you take? And if I remember correctly, I think both of y'all said under. Um, I was the I was the only one that said I think he gets another one. Oh, you were over. Okay, okay. And so, I I have thought about that <laughs> more frequently than I care to admit since that day, and I wish I could take that back. Yeah, man. Yeah. So if we're getting third team All NBA James Harden, you know, has a case for second team, then all of a sudden I do think the needle moves a little. If we're getting James Harden that we saw in game five and game six against Miami, who just doesn't have it to go three, like two rounds, doesn't have the step to get by the plus defenders. Um, Cause you gotta remember they traded a haul to get this guy. So when you're trading that haul, you're expecting someone who can make a difference in round two and round three and round and uh, the finals, hopefully. And if we don't get that man, then I, I tend to agree with you. I tend to think, this is just another cute Philly story where they reel me in. I, I've had like an unhealthy relationship with the 76ers, man. Every year, yeah. I want them to do so you, well. You have I love been there for a while, and I think I have finally managed to cut those guys. You cut them. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm still there, bro. I just I, I like Embiid too much. Obviously, um, Tyrese Maxey being from the area kind of gave me like a new interest in the team. Um, but, man, I just – the, the, the concern I have and the reason I'm in, inclined to agree with you as like their ceiling not being raised any is just who is guarding like big wings on this team, right? Because if P.J. Tucker is taking one of them, then that's very taxing on his body at age 38 or whatever he is now. And for him to have to do that every night is just asking a lot and then come down on the other end and hit open corner threes because – you know, teams are most likely going to help off of him out of that starting five. Um, but when he goes to the bench, man, if you put in like House, as you saw in that Dallas series, he doesn't quite have it from a strength perspective. Uh, if Tybal comes in, then all of a sudden you're playing four on five offensively. And um, and as much as I like Montrez Harrell, I think they'll still have the same problems of when MB goes to the bench, the offense just craters. So. I think you've actually swayed me, man, in terms of like the marginal, like they've just made a lot of good regular season moves that might make them a top two seed instead of third or fourth. But yeah, I think when push comes to shove, man, I think they're just a bit short as presently constructed. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and, and in terms of ceiling, which is, I believe, where we would go next, I think their ceiling is a dominant regular season team. I think they could win the East. I think they could finish as the one seed. And I think their playoff ceiling is in the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm. I, I think not enough has changed. 
and James Harden is going to melt down in the playoffs. And then it's just at that point, you know, it's Embiid against the world. Yeah. So. Yeah, and history tends to show us um, a that James Harden isn't going to have a like a a a series where he's like, okay, I'm that guy. And being more importantly, history tends to show us if you don't have the wing creator, it's so, so much more hard to get the big man the ball, right? Or else Denver would have won a couple playoff series with no Murray, right? Or Philly last year, they would have got to the conference finals if 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 it was just give it to the big man and let the big man eat. Um, in the playoffs, it gets very hard to do that. And, and one set I had here that um, I just want to highlight before we move on, Joel Embiid, second in the league last year in usage, 37.2%. Uh, I would like to see that come down some, man, because he's just been super unlucky with injuries. And I feel like if they can get that usage down just a little bit and maybe try and save some of those legs uh, for the playoffs, then I think, you know, they might be in a better position long term. Um, we will be back with the Knicks in, uh, right after this break. <laughs> All right, so as we move on from Philly and we head to Manhattan, we are here to cover the New York Knickerbockers. And uh, <laughs> for those who can't see, man, we have uh, Adam just over here chuckling on camera. <laughs> um, it makes me laugh that the name is actually the Knickerbockers. All right, so uh, for the previous season, the Knicks, uh, as I mentioned, four teams made the playoffs from the division. The Knicks were the ones that did not in classic Knicks fashion. Um, previous season, they went 37 and 45, finished 11th and missed the play-in uh, entirely. This was a team who just, once D-Rose went down, their season kind of went downhill with it. Um, the outlook for this season, they have them projected at 39 and a half wins for their over under. And I mean, if you want to hear title odds, it's plus 10,000. So if you want to throw a little $5 on that, why not? <laughs> um, yeah, but you're probably just better throwing your $5 in the trash if you don't want $5. Like, <laughs> give it to me. Uh, yeah, give, yeah, give it to one of us, man, please. Um, as far as key additions, obviously we had their, their, um, Free agent signing Jalen Brunson, uh, four years, four year deal. Um, I also liked, and I wrote down here Isaiah Hardenstein from uh, the Clippers. Uh, he was actually a really, really good backup big last year. Um, no current injuries to report at this moment. Uh, for their best eight, uh, no order. I just put down uh, Barrett, Brunson, Randall. Um, all left-handed, by the way. Derrick Rose, Mitchell Robinson, uh, Emmanuel Quigley, Quentin Grimes, and Hardenstein. Um, not a not a great team by any means. Just not a bad one either. Like I think that's competent. Um, but for me, man, I just don't have super high expectations for them this year. I think the East got so much better with some teams that we'll cover um, in our next episode. But I think two things can be true at once, right? I think the Knicks can have improved their team 
but not improve their standing. And I think that's kind of where I'm leaning with this team. I think Brunson is going to be a big upgrade from anything they had at point guard last year. If they can flip Fournier uh, and turn him into something and, or maybe just give more time to the young guys um, crimes and quickly specifically, I think that'll be good. But man, I got to be real. I don't see a lot of like upside for this team, Adam. I, I think they did good in terms of improving making little like you said with Philly little marginal moves but uh, we're talking about the Knicks here the ceiling's never going to be super high is it yeah I I think you're spot on um I think it's a little different than the Philly situation because I think they made a degree that burns in addition with actually a really really a lot better of a basketball team but it's like they had too much ground to make up to yeah. get to that next tier for them to have made that jump up to the next tier, even with as much better as that makes them. Yeah. You mentioned the things got real bad when, when Derrick Rose went down last year. Uh, e- even before that, when I watched the Knicks, what I always noticed was with Derrick Rose's injury history and getting a little older, you can only play him so many minutes to begin with. And the whole game was figuring out how to manage that right to still have him fresh in the fourth quarter because those times he was on the bench were just ugly. Yeah. yeah. Just ugly. And Jalen Brunson takes so much of that load off of his shoulders. Honestly, Jalen Brunson takes over that role. And it's now Darrow's taking some of the load off of Brunson's shoulders, not the other way around. Brunson's going to be the guy that brings the ball up the court most of the time. He's going to facilitate their offense. He's going to get them into their sets. He's going to make the right reads and, and you know, keep things pushing for those guys. And, and I really do think that makes them a lot better team in the sense that, like, this year's New York Knicks would blow out last year's New York Knicks. Right, right. Eight out of ten games. But that still has not moved them up enough in the east like you said yeah obviously the big talking point about them this summer was hey when are they going to get donovan mitchell what are they going to give up to get him well turns out they didn't uh, end up getting him after all um they extended rj barrett here which i thought was a good move um with the cap the salary cap projected to go up in a couple years i think we'll look at that deal as rather team friendly um, in a few years, maybe not right now, 30 mil seems a little high, but it's kind of the nature of the business. You want to resign your first round picks. Um, and this is actually the first one they've resigned since Charlie Ward back in the nineties. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm telling you, man, my dad is a, is a longtime Knicks fan. He's suffered a lot. And, and like, he's really, <laughs> he's really high on RJ Barrett though. He, he does like um, sort of the upside there. Um, we don't need to spend too much time on this team, man. I don't think uh, they're a playoff team as presently constructed. Um, I, I think there's probably nine teams better than them. So at the moment, I would have them in that 10th spot, having to win two road games to make the playoffs. And I just that just feels very unlikely for me at this moment. Yeah, uh, like you said, we, we don't need to dive too deep into that. It kind of is what they is. What I wrote down for ceiling was similar to last year. Um, which last year, they actually just missed the uh, the playing tournament. Last year, they finished 11th, which is one spot in the standings out of the playoffs. So in terms of ceiling, 
you know, maybe theoretically they, they make it into the playing tournament. And then part of what's cool about the playing tournament is it's not a full series. A couple balls can bounce your way. And yeah. maybe New York, like, backdoors into the the playoff as an eight seed just to get swept in the first round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Um, as far as floors, we don't really need to cover. I think, like, the floor could be there picking top five next year. Like, mm-hmm. um and then finally, man, to wrap up uh, the the five division teams, we have the Toronto Raptors. Um, previous season, they actually did really well considering how many injuries they had. Uh, finished 48 and 34, good for fifth in the conference. And they lost a six-game series to Philly in the first round. Um, rookie of the year, Scotty Barnes. Um, and uh, this year's outlook is interesting. They have them, Vegas has them at 45 and a half wins on their over-under um, and plus 4,500 to win the title. So again, just save your money. Um, for their best eight, I have written down uh, Van Vliet, Siakam, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent, Otto Porter, Precious Achua, and I put Chris Boucher for their eighth. Um as I mentioned, one of their additions, Auto Porter. This is one of the few teams that didn't do a whole lot in the offseason um, as far as bringing in new new faces and new talent. But just from kind of rattling off their top eight, Adam, one of the things that I just love about this team um, is their positional versatility. And then when you combine that with the coach, with Nick Nurse, and the ways he can implement that uh, that versatility and that length on defense. Um, this always makes for a really good regular season team who always has a, a particularly high floor because they're going to play defense every night and they're going to be awkward to guard and they're going to get every 50-50 ball and they have four dudes who can block you from the jumping from the elbow, who can block a three-pointer. Like they just have guys who are tough game plans, not in the sense of raw talent or in the sense of just God-given skill, but in the sense of, I didn't think he could get that. Like, how is he reaching that pass? How is he deflecting that jump shot? Um, So, man, in terms of likes, yeah, I I wrote down wing depth and just versatile swing men. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty, pretty right. You know, they're, like you said, high floor, maybe a little bit of a low ceiling. Mm-hmm. They certainly have the the length and the athleticism and, and the big bodies with the quick feet to employ a lot of very interesting defensive schemes. And they, they're very switchable kind of across the board. And Nick Nurse is, in my opinion, a, a very, very good a coach who is going to put those, those tall bodies and those arms and those switchable dudes into the right spots most of the time. The concern is going to be a little bit on the other end where we mm. continue to wonder is Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam enough of a one-two punch to really carry you anywhere in the playoffs. Um, and, and on that note, maybe that'll be bolstered a little bit if Scotty Barnes continues to develop. You know, Scotty Barnes won Rookie of the Year last year, looked real good, a guy that I'm very high on, and, and maybe he can take a jump and, and be – a little bit more of that, but at, at the moment, I just don't think they have the firepower. Yeah, I, I agree with that. This team, man, <laughs> funny enough, 
this team is perfectly constructed for a free agent to just a superstar free agent to just come in free agency to where we don't have to give everything anything up and you just slot in and take us to the promised land because as you mentioned Fred Van Vliet and Siakam as a one and two no shot as a two and three we've seen that actually do very well um I guess they were more of a three and four when they won the title but um, yeah. I think at this point in their career, they can do okay as a two and three around like a true superstar. Uh, you look at guys like OG Ananobi, Gary Trent Jr., three tr- to typical three and D wings. Um, both can guard down positions. OG can guard up a position. Um, both shoot around 38 to 40% from three. You add Otto Porter, another guy who just won a championship doing the same sort of thing. Um, it's funny, man. Like this team is just, a bunch of three through seven guys like but they need a one and a two and as much as i love fred van vliet man um it just feels like he's being overcast and asked to do a little too much on a nightly basis um for the raptors to be anything more than a good regular season team who is a tough out in the playoffs yeah Absolutely. So that that brings us to I think Toronto's ceiling, which again, like with the Knicks, I wrote down similar to last year. I think they'll finish somewhere in the middle of the playoff ranks, somewhere four to six. Maybe things go great. They end up at like maybe they win a series, go out in the second round. Maybe they get you know the wrong matchup and get bounced in the first. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, man. And um, as we mentioned earlier, just to wrap up floor with Toronto they're never ever gonna be terrible you know they're too well coached they're too athletic they try too hard on a nightly basis um just on a like non-basketball note for anyone who who kind of cares about that stuff it I've listened to a few different uh NBA players talk about like traveling to Toronto and how tough that is um like on a back-to-back and you have to fly to Toronto you get out you have to deal with customs um, all of a sudden getting in at 1 a.m. turns to getting in at 3.30 and, you know, these guys are creatures of habits and just just something to look look for this season. If you ever see any teams on a back to back and their second game is on the road at Toronto, bet Toronto in that game, man, even if it's a really, really good team that just seems to kind of mess with um, mess with Vegas a little bit in terms of how they treat those lines. So just, just a little nugget for any, any gamblers out there. Um, it, it's one of those, so it's I one of those weird ones, man. That. Yeah. It's one of those weird ones. Uh, them and Minnesota are like the two toughest places to travel from everything I've heard from like JJ Reddick podcast. Uh, Draymond Green's talked mm-hmm. about it a few times. It's just one of those weird ones. That's fascinating. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to be back with, uh, trivia with Adam right after this short break. Okay. All right, we're going to finish out the show with talking trivia, a recurring segment that I get to participate in, which is always a lot of fun. Yes, sir. Uh, for anybody who haven't made it this deep into one of our episodes before and doesn't know what this is, I'm going to throw out the names of three players, past or present, and it's a trivia game, and I'm quizzing Brandon. over the course of an entire season. His career was 24 and a half points. The answer would be no. If his 
best season in his career was 25.0 or higher, that would be yes. Again, that is average points per game over the course of an entire NBA season. Uh, I tend to try to keep some kind of theme to the, the players that are stuck together, which is getting a little bit more difficult now that we've <laughs> rolled through several iterations of this. Yeah. Uh, I have three guards to look at today who were all great scorers in their own right, but for whatever reason, never really like racked up a ton of accolades. None of these guys you're going to see with eight, nine, ten all-star appearances, a bunch of all-NBA teams or anything like that. Mm. Kind of unheralded talents, I guess. Okay. Uh, the first one we're going to look at is a three-time all-star and a two-time all-NBA selection and the 2006-2007 Rookie of the Year. This guy's lack He looked like he was on a trajectory to uh, rack up a lot at Portland Trailblazer, Brandon Roy. Oh, okay. That's tough, man. This is one of my favorite players. Um, man, it's such a sad, sad story. Very, very sad story. Um yeah, I remember for, for those who don't know much about Brandon Roy, he this isn't a Derrick Rose type of situation where you know he looked like he was on the trajectory to take over and injuries robbed his athleticism and he played for another 10 years and was never the same dude. Injuries literally ended Brandon Roy's career. He yeah. stopped playing basketball. Yeah. Okay. Um I remember vividly there was a, I think it was that 2011 season, the Mavs won the title, but he was killing. He was killing in that series. Um, 25, 25, 25 is that tough number, man. Okay, I'm going to say for this one, I'm going to say no. I think the nostalgia of Brandon Roy kind of tricks us into thinking he was like a 25 point per game score. I think he was a really, really good player. I never, I don't think he ever got to 25. So I'll say no. Yeah, that is correct. I also think the nostalgia of Brandon Roy makes us kind of remember him a little bit higher than he was. And yeah. certainly some of that is that he was very much still on an upward trajectory. So mm, you got to think if he had not had those injuries, he probably could have achieved those numbers at some point. But no, 2008-2009 was the highest scoring career, highest scoring season of Brandon Roy's career at 22.6 points per game. So he missed the bark by a good little bit, 22.6. Uh, moving on, this guy made one all-star team, and he made one all-NBA team, and he won an Olympic gold medal in 2008. <laughs> and that's how deep I had to, to think to uh, come up with this man's Accolades, a lethal outside shooter at 38% on his career. He actually had a pretty good run in the 08 Olympics after being a lesser known commodity across the NBA. This is Milwaukee Bucks shooting guard Michael Red. Ooh, that's a good one, you know. That's a good one. Uh, by the way, for anybody listening, that Redeem Team documentary is coming out soon. I'm actually really excited to see that. 
see how they make it dramatic because we kind of rolled everyone except for the gold medal game. <laughs> um, Michael Red, man, this guy was a very good shooter. Um, he wore number 22 and kind of gets a little bit of comps to like Chris Middleton, like uh, of that era, sort of. Um, very good shooter, but could also put it on the floor a bit. 25 feels high for him as well, man, um, especially for him to get with the accolades you mentioned, it doesn't scream 25. So I'm going to say no again. All right. So we missed this one. Ah. Michael Red averaged north of 25 a game twice. Wow. And back to that year, he put up 25.4 in 2005-2006. And he put up 26.7 oh my in 2006-2007. The interesting thing about this to me is that, like I said, he only made one all-star team and one all-NBA team, both of which occurred in 2003-2004 when mm. he averaged 21.7 again. So his 25-4 <laughs> and his 26-7 did not earn the all-star team. That wow. seems a little bit like a robbery. I'd have to dig in a little deeper yeah. into what happened in those years. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Damn, that's a good one. That, 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 was, that got me. 26.7, he cleared it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's pretty impressive. Um, Michael Ray was better than people remember. Yeah. Uh, the last guy we've got, two-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA, decently talented point guard. Uh, certainly was able to score a lot of points because he was getting his shots up no matter what anybody else said with the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Phoenix Suns. This is Stefan Marbury. God, man, Brooklyn's one of Brooklyn's finest, Lincoln High School, all the talent in the world coming out. Um, it almost feels wrong to say that he wouldn't because he was so talented when his head was on straight. Um, for the younger listeners, I'm trying to give a good comp. Like, he was just a super talented quick guard, but just off the court issues just got him. Um, 25 from Marbury. As you mentioned, he was a gunner. He definitely was not afraid to shoot it. So I'm just going to say on sheer volume. No matter what anybody says. I'm going to say on sheer volume that he got to 25 once. Stephon Marbury missed the mark. His highest scoring season was when he played with New Jersey in 2000 to 2001. And he put up 23.9. So missed it by about a point. However, he did score north of 20 a game for seven straight seasons. Mm. So that's a pretty good line of being just below that point. One for two this round, man. I'm I'm resty. One for two. And, you know, I, I don't even remember what the count was at. So I think we'll just start it over with the new. <laughs> just start Riano, yeah. Clean slate. Clean slate. And, and starting off one and two so not off to a great not a good yeah yeah man 33 percent from the field coach about to bench Mm. me it's it's not looking good all right um so that was talking trivia uh thank you guys for listening if you've made it this far uh we'll be back in a couple days to talk about the southeast division uh adam as always thanks for joining me man and we'll do this again yeah it's always a pleasure appreciate it yes sir